0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 23rd edition of the of Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal applied the Borella Criteria Employment Standard in resolving an appeal of a criminal conviction. Here's what happened in the published case of People v. Zirban. Ian Zerban was charged with a number of regulatory crimes following a fatal July 2016 accident involving his bulldozer. At the time, he had been assisting the California Department of Forestry and Fire at a wildfire in Monterey County. After a bench trial, the trial court convicted Zerban of procuring or offering a false or forged instrument, tax evasion, failure to collect, account for and pay taxes, and misdemeanor failure to secure payment of workers' compensation insurance. On appeal, Zurban contends that his convictions must be reversed because he did not have an employment relationship with his bulldozer operators, an element of those offenses. The parties agreed that the court should resolve this factual question under the multi-factor test articulated in the older Borrello case, not the newer three-part ABC t- test <clears throat> adopted by the California Supreme Court in the 2018 Dynamax case. This was a year before Zurban's trial. The conviction was affirmed in the published case of People v. Zurban. The terms of probation were, however, reversed, and the matter submitted back to the trial court with instructions. Examining the trial evidence under the Borello Test, the court concluded that there was sufficient evidence of an employment relationship between Zerban and his bulldozer drivers during the relevant period. Mr. Zerban was the one who decided whether to accept 24-hour resource assignments from CAL FIRE, including the Sobrain's fire assignment, knowing that he would need to enlist other bulldozer drivers to complete them. Zurban thus controlled the overall scope of the work, the number of operators needed for any assignment he accepted, who those other operators would be, and the overall period during which the operators would work. During Zurban's chosen wildfire assignments, His bulldozer drivers also were not engaged in a distinct occupation or business. These circumstances demonstrate Zerban's right to control the manner and means of accomplishing the result desired. Many states are now uh, racing to meet a deadline to commit to a $26 billion opioid settlement with three drug distributors and drug maker Johnson & Johnson. And some states have to grapple with local resistance and concerns that the amount is not big enough to address the damage done by the epidemic of addiction. The proposed settlement was unveiled last July 21, kicking off a one-month-long process for states, counties, and cities to either sign on or reject the deal. States must decide whether to join settlements that call for the distributors to pay $21 billion, and Johnson & Johnson to pay $5 billion, money meant to help fund treatment and other services. The settlement's complex formula envisions at least 44 states participating, but ultimately the companies decide whether a critical mass have joined the and whether to finalize the deal. Michigan, South Carolina, and Nevada say they are still evaluating the offer. In hard-hit New Hampshire, the associate attorney general said he recently told a judge the state was unlikely to join the deal with Johnson & Johnson, which the state plans to take to trial next year. And now our crime report. A high-desert physician remains in federal custody after his arrest Wednesday on charges of illegally dispensing prescriptions for often-abused controlled substances, including opioid-based medications, during telemedicine sessions with patients from across the United States. 36-year-old Dr. Rafael Thomas Malikian, who resides in Elano and Palmdale, and who called his medical practice Happy Family Medicine was arrested by special agents with the Drug Enforcement Administration. An indictment named Malikian was unsealed at his arraignment, where he entered a not, pleady, not guilty plea, and a United States magistrate judge ordered him to tend, detained pending trial. His trial is currently scheduled for October 5. The controlled substances that Malikian allegedly distributed were oxycodone, hydrocodone, alprazolam, promethazine, and codeine. The DEA investigation was prompted by multiple reports in 2020 of suspicious prescriptions issued by Dr. Malikian. The indictment alleges specific incidents, including one conducted in Trier-Lee by way of text message, starting in April 2020 and continuing through July 2020. None of the consultations involved any physical exam or diagnostic tests, and the appointments lasted as little as 2 minutes and 20 seconds. The affidavit in support of the search warrants outlines the DEA's investigation, which included various undercover operations, in which agents from the DEA and the California Department of Justice posed as patients and received their prescriptions. The DEA agent concluded that Dr. Malikian effectively sells prescriptions for controlled substances to patients upon request and does so without obtaining a patient's medical history or conducting a physical exam. A DEA investigator also reviewed patient records which showed that Malikian saw patients across the United States and that about 43% of them shared common addresses, email addresses, caregivers, or phone numbers with other patients. According to the affidavit, one of those patients was a convicted narcotics trafficker and another was stopped at Los Angeles International Airport while carrying over nineteen thousand dollars in cash, and about one thousand seven hundred hydrocodone and Alprazolam pills, the Labor's Commissioner's Office has reached a one point six million dollar settlement with the owners of Z and Y Restaurant in San Francisco, securing compensation for twenty-two workers for unpaid minimum wages, overtime split-shift premiums, and theft of tips by the left by customers by the owners of the restaurant. Each worker will receive, on average, about $73,000 under this settlement agreement. California law prohibits employers from taking tips left by customers for servers, and under this settlement, the employer will pay workers back all of those stolen tips totaling over $400,000. The Labor Commissioner's Office learned of the potential violations after receiving a referral from the Chinese Progressive Association and the Asian Americans Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus. The investigation found that 22 servers and kitchen workers were not paid properly. The servers were paid hourly, and the kitchen staff were paid a fixed salary that was below minimum wage and did not include overtime. The employer legally kept tips left for the servers and did not pay servers split shift premiums when they were scheduled to work both the lunch and dinner shifts. In April 2020, the Labor Commissioner issued wage assessments and penalties totaling over $1.4 million to the owners of ZNY Restaurant Incorporated, but the employer appealed the citations. Then in September 2020, the Labor Commissioner filed a civil lawsuit against the restaurant owners for any violations not covered by these citations. With the hearing on the citation appeal approaching, the employer reached a settlement with a labor commissioner that resolved the citations and the lawsuit and pending wage claims that had been separately filed by four workers represented by the Asian Law Caucus. The settlement also included $9,550 in civil penalties payable to the state of California. A California neurosurgeon was acquitted after a jury trial in a Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, be- Long Beach related kickback case. The jury in the case of United States of America versus Dr. Sergei Yubakov issued a verdict of not guilty on all 35 counts of conspiracy and healthcare fraud contained in the indictment after a nearly 3-week federal criminal jury trial. The case stemmed from allegations that doctor, That Michael Drobot Sr., the former owner of Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, <clears throat> paid $2.3 million in kickbacks to neurosurgeon Dr. Yubikov to induce him to direct his patients to the Pacific Hospital. Additionally, the indictment alleged that he accepted kickbacks in the form of free rent and a paid medical directorship with Willow Medical Group as inducement to direct spinal surgeries to Monrovia Hospital. But the defense attorneys countered that the doctor honestly held the belief that the $2.3 million was paid to him as part of an option agreement for a management company to buy his medical practice. Additionally, Dr. Yubikov was advised by the attorney for the management company, uh, Mr. Michael Tikron, that the agreement was legal, valid, and customary. Dr. yubakov testified that he had done more than a thousand surgeries at Pacific Hospital prior to the option agreement, and that he did not know that Michael Drobot Sr. and the healthcare company's attorney, Mr. tichon engineered a 15-year healthcare fraud conspiracy that raked in about $500 million. Dr. Obikoff further testified that his directorship with Willow Medical Group was valid and that in fact he never sought out or received any kickbacks in the form of rent. Apparently, the jury agreed with his testimony. And in regulatory news, a California state audit shows concerns about a $72 billion COVID funding mismanagement in the state bureaucracy. State law authorizes the California state auditor to develop a state high risk government agency audit program. The office implemented this program by identifying, auditing, and recommending improvements to state agencies and statewide issues at a high risk for waste, fraud, abuse, or mismanagement, or for having major challenges associated with their economy, efficiency, or effectiveness. It first designated the state's management of federal funds related to COVID-19 as a high-risk statewide issue a year ago in August, 2020. In the new August 19, 2021 report, the state auditor continued to voice concern regarding the state's mismanagement of $71 billion in federal COVID-19 funding. The current auditor's report indicated that the state's finance, employment development department, and public health departments should remain at the top of the list of issues which pose a risk to the state's financial health as a result of these mismanagement issues. It reported that back in January 21, that was six months ago, that significant weaknesses in EDD's approach to fraud prevention had led to billions of dollars in improper unemployment benefit payments. EDD did not take substantive, a, substantive action to bolster its fraud detection efforts for its un, unemployment insurance program until months into the pandemic, resulting in payments of about $10.4 billion for claims that it has since determined may be fraudulent. Then in September 2020, <clears throat> EDD directed Bank of America to freeze 344000 debit cards that it used to provide benefit payments to claimants. However, EDD did not have a plan in place to ensure that it could unfreeze those accounts found to belong to legitimate claimants, and it has been slow to acknowledge its role in freezing these accounts. The updated August 2021 report indicated that these three departments were to be retained on the high-risk list. The DWC has issued a notice of public hearing for an update to the medical treatment utilization schedule. The Zoom-based public hearing is scheduled for Friday, September 17 at 10 a.m. The proposed evidence-based update to the MTUS incorporate by reference the latest ACOM guideline for low back disorders. Two of the many recommendations in the new ACOM guideline illustrate the emphasis of early return to work as a treatment objective. The guideline says that many invasive and non-invasive therapies are intended to cure or manage low back pain, but no quality evidence exists that they accomplish this as successfully as therapies that focus on restoring functional ability without focusing on pain. In those cases, the traditional medical model of curing the patient does not work well. Instead, patients should be aware that returning to normal activities most often aids functional recovery. Also, patients should be encouraged to accept responsibility for managing their recovery rather than expecting the provider to provide an easy cure. This process promotes the use of activity and function rather than pain as a guide, making the treatment goal of return to occupational and non-occupational activities more obvious. Members of the public may review and comment on the proposed updates, but written comments must be submitted no later than September 17. In a scathing report leaked to NBC Bay Area's investigative unit, federal health regulators blasted the Good Samaritan Hospital management for failing to address serious, systemic, and recurring issues that put numerous patients in harm's way. Officials from CMS warn the hospital that it will no longer be paid for taking care of Medicare patients unless the hospital corrects a series of deficiencies outlined in the 65-page report. Health inspectors took aim at the hospital's management, including its chief executive officer, chief medical officer, and chief nursing officer, but also detailed staffing and training issues that led to mistakes and direct injury to patients. Beyond documenting leadership failures at the hospital, inspectors detailed a litany of other issues, including nurse-to-patient staffing ratios that were out of compliance with the state mandates. The lack of adequate staffing led to overburdened nurses and mistakes in care, including at least 11 missed patient assessments and at least four instances where medications were not administered to ICU patients according to physician orders, according to this report. Officials from Good Samaritan Hospital and its parent company HCA Healthcare have declined multiple interview requests, but They said in a statement that they've submitted a plan for correction that is currently under review by CMS. The monthly tally of new COVID-19 claims in California Workers' Compensation System spiked to over 2,500 cases in July, just shy of the combined total of 2,600 COVID claims recorded for the prior three months. That translates to nearly a four-fold increase in one month, the biggest monthly gain since COVID-19 claim volume hit its peak in December 2020. Claims with July, June and July injury dates are still coming in, but the CWCI projections estimate that ultimately the COVID-19 claim count for July will hit 3,872 cases, or times the projected total of 811 claims for June. Notably, July was the first full month following the June 15 reopening of the California economy, a move that coincided with a wave of COVID-19 infections fueled by the emergence of the highly infectious Delta variant. The state's reopening plan allowed most businesses to fully reopen and brought many Californians who had been working remotely back into offices and other work sites. July was also the first full month following the June 17 adoption and implementation of revised emergency health and safety standards designed to protect workers from COVID-19. Those standards adopted following contentious public hearings apply to most California workers not covered by Cal OSHA's standard for aerosol transmissible diseases. While the recent resurgence of California workers' compensation COVID-19 claims has been broad-based, a CWCI analysis of June and July claims data reveals that the extent of this surge varied by region and industry. Much of the July surge in COVID claims occurred in the state's metropolitan job centers, led by Los Angeles County, which accounts for more than a quarter of all jobs in the state. In June, COVID-19 workers' comp claim volume in Los Angeles County had fallen to 128 cases, ranking it behind the Central Valley, the Bay Area, and the Inland Empire, Orange County region. But in July, L.A. County's COVID claim volume soared to 621 claims, nearly five times its June total, and it surpassed every other region of the state, and its share of the statewide COVID claim count rose to 24.1%. The review of COVID claims by industry found that while public safety, government workers continued to account for more claims than any other sector, the growth weight was in line with the statewide increase. COVID claims among healthcare workers were also up, increasing from 124 to 456 claims in July. On the other hand, the transportation sector saw the biggest increase in its share of the COVID claims as it went from 59 claims in June to 352 claims in July, a six-fold increase that moved it ahead of both the retail and the food service sectors. And in other news, in an online event, Elon Musk, Tesla's CEO announced some projects for the future, including a prototype of humanoid robot that should arrive in prototype form by next year. This is TeslaBot, a prototype that will be the beginning of the creation of a machine that will, he says, replace workers in many tasks that are repetitive, dangerous, or boring. While Musk only presented an image of the robot during the event, the company already has a solid vision of what the machine will look like. He underscored that the robot will be friendly, And at a mechanical and physical level, he said, you can easily run away from and most likely overpower. It will stand about 5 foot 8 inches tall and weigh 125 pounds thanks to the use of lightweight materials for its body. With a screen for a face that will be used to display useful information. The machine will be able to move with a top speed of 5 miles an hour, which is just a bit faster than the average human walking speed and will have the capacity to carry loads of up to 45 pounds. It will be designed to do various dangerous and repetitive tasks for humans and navigate our world without having to be fed step-by-step instructions. Musk said it should be able to follow simple commands like please pick up that bolt and attach it to the car with that wrench. It should also be able to get groceries for owners and perform other menial tasks. Musk mused about a universal basic income and a world in which physical work will be a choice. If you want to do it, you can, but you won't need to. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcasts, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scaron, Manuki and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.